One Emotional Podcast, Conversations for Inspiration on the Go. We offer on-the-go inspiration because our whole heart is set on beauty and our best bets are set on art. Wonderful. So, hi Sharona, it's wonderful to have you here in Luan Emotional Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. It's been a pleasure seeing your career and how you've evolved since, I don't know, we met maybe through Sandbox, how many years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I can't recall. And it's been amazing to see everything that you've um, evolved with uh, your projects. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about who this amazing woman is. Um, Sharona was born in Tel Aviv. She grew up in London. Um, she has a bachelor's in sociology and politics, and she currently lives in Tel Aviv. She's the founder of Dream Me, which is a platform for commissioning art with 500 artists around the world. You can send in any thought, story, mantra, vision, or poem you would like to be artified, and they ship it to your home printed on frame or on a phone case or a yoga mat. They have received over 10,000 artworks that have been created in over 50 countries so far. She is the creator of The Big Dream. This is an art installation and event which I completely adore. It started as the largest artwork in the world, puzzled out of yoga mats, envisioning the future of countries and cities. The installation traveled globally, envisioning the future of the world. Imagine how cool is that? And nowadays, it is projected on art buildings, on museums, and historical sites. This is wonderful, Sharona. So let's start by what cultural changes have you seen that are impacted by art? So I think it makes sense to start on a personal level with just thinking about Art Basel, um, which recently happened in Miami and I, and I wasn't there, but were you there? Mm -mm. I wasn't there. So yeah, it's closer to you, but um, so, I was there two years ago and then I heard this year a lot of like 99% of Art Basel was around NFTs and digital art. Mm -hmm. And I was there two years ago with Dreamy and I was like handing people my business card and talking to people and everyone was actually quite snobby when it came to Dreamy and digital art. You know, I had like my little badges and my digital art badges and I was like very, you know, like tech meets art meets, you know, digital world. And it's just amazing to see how much the world has changed in two years. You know, like if I'd have been in Art Basel now, like what would have the reactions been? Like no one can react anymore to digital art with like a snobby face because everyone knows that there's value in digital art, especially when you can bring so many people around the world together around an artwork that isn't necessarily physical. Um, so I'd say like that's the first thing that comes to mind in like the cultural evolution Um, of how people perceive art. And I've obviously been like, a, like what I've been like a pitcher, like I've been pitching digital art for over seven years. So I'm really happy to see, to see where, where it is now and, and how the world finally appreciates its essence and its value. And it's fantastic to see that, um, well, actually, did you know that digital art is um, the type of art that, ha that has been having more growth in the past years? 
right? It, it, it actually is having an exponential growth, which is quite interesting because there's not many types of art that, I, that are having that exponential growth around the world. And I completely understand and I can relate to you about kind of like that aspect of, you know, seeing kind of like snobby, you know, digital art. But I think digital art has something incredible that it creates this immersion, kind of like this full 360 degree immersion. And you can play more with emotions and you can play more with uh, the experience. So the curation that you do for that space or that experience or that, or, that, or that art piece, I think it's incredible because people can actually feel it with more senses. And art per se, it's quite powerful. And now imagine kind of like you tune up no? kind of like you put kind of like high definition to that artwork and now you can sense it with way more senses than 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 any other uh, type of art right and you've seen the experiences that are happening around the world kind of like you know team lab over in uh, japan they broke you know record with sales they actually didn't expect it to sell that much you've seen the van gogh exhibition traveling around the world right right now there's one coming right now in december in mexico city um, about monet about the uh painter there's also super blue i don't know if you've been over in mm -hmm. uh, miami but it's this new museum uh that it's uh, there's james Terrell, there's team lab and i can't remember the third artist but it's also you know fascinating and and it's kind of like gathering different buzz around about what's going to happen if i could ask you what would you think would be the future of digital art in the next five to ten years where do you think this yeah um, I'm going to be biased based on what I do, but if I was to be a trendsetter and I'm trying to be, I'd say it's, it's co-created digital art. So I'd say like one of the challenges I've had with Dreamy over the last six years is bringing on some artists that actually want to only create art inspired from their own imaginations. Whereas like my whole mission with Dreamy is, is to bring the dreamer with the idea and then the artist to co-create. And I think we see it with Patreon. We see it with many other platforms that people are interested in co-creation. And so I think that's like the next big, I hope, because that's like where all my passion and focus is. I think that's like another new, that's like the next wave of art. And I really believe that in a hundred years from now, when someone's teaching the history of art, you know, and they're going over the different, the different waves and, and genres of art, I really think co-created art will be a genre of itself. And mm. I'm really excited to be a part of that. I love that. And that's also kind of like has more feminine values, right? It's kind of like changing from competition to cooperation. And that, you know, creates a completely different, you know, business. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Only two women can include that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, for example, um, do you see in the future to be able to co-create, you know, this type of art with more people? So, for example, right now you've done it right with the artist and the dreamer. But what about, for example, included people from different backgrounds? I don't know if you've seen this artwork by this um, Mexican film director, uh, Alejandro González Iñárritu. He created this art exhibition called Carne y Arena that has been traveling around the world which is, um, it's an immersive experience of what do people feel, what do migrants feel w w while crossing the border? 
So you have kind of like, you know, your eyeglasses and you have this binaural sound system and literally you're feeling that you are, you know, in the border trying to cross and there's kids and people are crying and everybody's afraid. And then the police comes and they wow. get you and they're, you know, kind of like peeing on top of the migrants and they're, you know, treating you terribly. And it's kind of like opening those empathy doors of what does actually, you know, a migrant go through? Well, they're, you know, escaping their country of origin because they're lacking of opportunities and looking for more opportunities. So that instantly creates, you know, that's using art to create empathy towards, you know, social problems that we need to address. So imagine in the near future that you could have maybe, you know, the artist, the dreamer as well, but also, you know, kind of like adding other people from different backgrounds and have kind of like a complete artwork that's actually talking about could be ethical values or it could be you know about um, how we're going to design this new future that's coming what can you say on that do you see that happening soon definitely and i'm actually thinking back to i uh, a few years ago i i had a vr um experience where we were in like syrian refugee camps and it was as heartbreaking but also as enabling in terms of obviously you can't ever feel full empathy empathy because you don't feel it fully but it was really really powerful and I was so moved and like the rest of the day I couldn't really speak but I think definitely adding as many stories and as many layers as possible to any co-creation is is where the world is going and I think that's a huge reason why I started the big dream and I think the more people coming together to to create it's just it's like there's there's less that can go wrong with that do you know what I mean it's like let's bring more people together rather than less people together and let's envision things together rather than less people envisioning together um it sounds a bit abstract what I just said but like in in the core like that is what the big dream is like when we started it um four years ago the whole idea was like to envision the future of the Middle East mm. and I started collecting different dreams from friends and like more well-known people. And there was one friend of mine, he's a journalist. He's been like all over in the world. His name's Itai Engel and his dream started quite pessimistic. But then as he was speaking more and more about his dream, he realized that, you know, like he does like a dream is, is an opportunity to be optimistic as well. So he started like shining some positive light and and then you suddenly see how many other people who are not journalists have quite similar ways of describing their dreams to him and then you're sort of reminded like we're not so different even if we've been to you know some of the scariest places on the planet we're, we're all having quite similar dreams and it was really beautiful at the end to see you know that many people in israel were dreaming about peace and coexistence and like many people were dreaming about actually ways to travel through the middle east to get to asia and like since then in the last two years four peace agreements have been made you know with with like like the united arab emirates and like like you know morocco dubai and it's like crazy crazy to think that like four years ago that was a dream and like today it's a reality and I'm not saying in any way that it's credit to the big dream happening but I think it's really beautiful to see an image and then like a few years later see like oh wow like we all had that dream and and now it's it's manifested um but I'm yeah I'm a definitely big believer in like one inclusivity and all the projects that I do like also on a gender level you know and and in, and in, and other levels too 
Um, so the more voices and the more different voices that we can have in art and co-creation, the better the world will be, in my of opinion. Course. And I think you're pinpointing something really interesting about the possibility to and the power that the collective manifestation actually brings, right? Because you can say it in one way, right? You're actually, you're actually collapsing a possibility, one of the many possibilities that, that there could be, right? One of them could be war, right? Another one could be to, you know, to keep things as they as as they were, and and another one is to, you know, arrive to these peace agreements. But something fascinating that I found um, that I find about cultural projects, especially with art, it's kind of like they bring voices together, and through those voices, they have kind of like this this microphone or this megaphone right to actually be able to send that message out to the world and that's fascinating so what you what what you did was kind of like collecting everybody's dreams and find that common denominator that most people had in their dreams and then actually right also manifesting it in in, in the sense of making it a reality with yoga mats and then eventually kind of like the intention is out there and it and it has a possibility to be created so the power that we can have of collective um, consciousness, it's insane. And I think we haven't actually really explored it yet because there's so many things that we could even, you know, get scared of, you know, like, wow, do we really have this power <laughs> together? Totally. But it's like a really big thing, I think, right? In Mexico, like there's a lot in terms of like the history and the culture, right? That, sur that surrounds like collective collective unconsciousness right like i remember from little bit of reading yes of course and something for example fascinating they go if you study any culture you know it has its backgrounds and it has its problematics and for example in mexico um, there used to be this amazing author called octavio paz and in his book el laberinto de la soledad which i think in english is um the solitude labyrinth that could be an exact translation i need to check that but um, he talks about, for example, kind of like Mexico has, you know, something fascinating and also something lacking because it actually is lacking kind of like its own identity and it's a mix of different identities and different cultures because like back in the day, it was kind of like, you know, conquered by an imperialism of, um, of uh, Spain, no? And then, you know, it tried to be, you know, conquered by France and then nowadays we have kind of like a modern imperialism of you know the us inside in mexico and then we have our aztec and toltec and mayan roots right like really 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 ancient so it's kind of like a mix of you know ancient wisdom and ancient history with also you know other things that today are you know quite cosmopolitan right so i think it's actually kind of like bridging together different aspects of collective culture that's actually creating um, one of the most fascinating hubs around the world. Right now, if you walk in these neighborhoods, like in Mexico City, let's say uh, Condesa, Roma, Juarez, Doctores, you know, like almost nobody speaks English. <laughs> Everybody wow. is kind of like, you know, from different parts of the world and are coming to Mexico. And there's lots of, you know, art gigs and music gigs and meditations and sound healings and activities and a lot of, you know, experiences. And I wanted to ask you, um, do you think the big dream eventually uh, you would see it after the pandemic to be able to travel? It could be physically with the yoga mats or the digital immersive art to different countries around the world. That's the goal. Um, and also 
the goal is on the second, like of the second 22 to try and unveil it in like at least 15 locations on the same day, because it's going to space two weeks later to the International Space Station um, with the Rakia mission. So I'm actually, I've been speaking to a friend, Isidoro in Merida, and he is trying to find like a location to project it there. Um, and at the moment, like we're open to having the the final artwork on the second, like unveiled in as many places as possible. Like in the Dominican Republic, it's going to be projected on like a flag on the beach in Norway by a lake in Tokyo, like in the Shibuya crossing. So like each location will have its own, uh, will have its own like touch. Um, and yeah, so like one, we're definitely looking for more locations and want to bring this to as many people as possible to see it and also to inspire people to still enter their dream for the future. Because when it goes to, when it goes to the space station, will people will get like, um, notifications on their, on their email when their dream is potentially like being projected. And not only that, like how many other people around the world have a similar dream to them. So we're using like natural language processing to like enable people to understand like the dream data and like dream correlations that others around the world are dreaming about similar things to them. Amazing. So wait, so you're planning to showcase, to project all of these dreams in the International Space Station? Yeah. And how does that work? For example, if I'm kind of like a normal user, I submit my dream and then you need to wait for how many months? And then like, could you tell us a little bit about the process yeah yeah so this is specifically for the big dream like it's not the day-to-day of dreamy where you can just commission an artwork so on the big dream you can go to big.dream.me and submit your dream there's like another month to potentially have it turned into art and then an additional month to potentially just see it in text in space um but the idea is that you submit your dream and then come two, 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 because the whole idea is like take two for planet earth. You will potentially see your dream, like actually visualized in this final, like artwork, which is like going to be like a five minute video animation of the future of the planet. And then a few weeks later, it's going to be in space and like projected as a hologram, like in the space station. Mm, I love it. So yeah, you can enter your dream today. And, you know, we, in, in Luan, we shared something um, in common with Yuan, with the big dream. We're just launching this um, end of the year. We're launching a gift that we're, you know, doing and creating collectively about we're asking people from different parts of the world if they could share with us what's in it, what's in them. Like this thing that they can't stop hiding, this thing that they need the urge to come out and express it, you know, kind of like we all know deep inside in our intuition, what are kind of like our gifts to the world. Sometimes we could be a little bit more confused and sometimes, and it's okay, you know, we've all been through that. And, you know, sometimes there are other times in our lives where we could have it like really clear, but deeply inside we know if we're doing kind of like the right thing you know, in our passion and, you know, in the gifts that we were actually, you know, came to serve into this world. And the whole project is, you know, called about um, showing your fire, right? What is mm, beautiful gift inside that you wish to share to the world? What is this fire, this kind of like, how are you going to ignite it? And I want to ask you, um, what is something for you that you, that you feel the need to stop hiding? So I, so I think it's like, to be honest, I think it's my biggest strength 
and my biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think I was born with it. And I think a lot of people are, um, like, so I have, I have this bindi right in the middle of my, of my forehead. And it's for me in like a spiritual way, it's like the third eye. Like I was born with a mole right in the middle of my head. And it's like, maybe I have too much DMT in my system. Cause that's where it like comes from in, in your brain, in the pineal gland. But I think my, my imagination has its like very dark sides, but also has its very positive sides. And I think that's, that's the inner fire that I was born with that I'm still on a daily basis working with. So like on the one hand, I have a lot of anxiety and I have a lot of fears and I create like Hollywood movie scripts in my mind of like the darkest, worst possible scenarios that can happen. And I live with it on a daily basis, but at the same time, I also really believe in hope and optimism. So it's really conflicting. Like it's, it's almost confusing if, if, you know, from my closest friends and my family, it's like, how can you be so scared of this really bizarre thing that you're scared of yet at the same time, be so optimistic about the future of the planet and want to bring everyone together to dream. And I think that's just a fire that's constantly fueling itself and it's improving. Like the more that I work on the positive light, the, the more, you know, the darkness goes away, but I don't think I'll ever eliminate fully the dark the dark flame. Um, and I think that's something that everyone has, you know, like everyone's inner fire, I think is something that also weakens them as much as it does strengthen them. And I think that, you know, what you just mentioned is actually duality, right? We are so both, both sides, right? The light and the darkness, right? The white and the black are part of our identity. And I'm part of this kind of like existence. And we just mentioned about fear. I read a few years ago, this book called Dancing with Fear that I really liked. And the author talks about how actually fear is wired to take care of us. So, you know, back in the day, it's kind of like, if you, if you go down that road, you know, last time a tiger came and he almost ate you, right? So the fear is telling you like, hey, watch out. If you go down that road again, maybe the tiger will see you again. And maybe this time he can eat you. So, you know, take another road and you're feeling, you know, fear, fear constantly. But nowadays, I think we have so many triggers of fear around us that eventually we're not actually taking, you know, the good or the essence of fear, which is taking care of us. And now we're, you know, sometimes letting, because it's, you know, a big amount of fear, we're letting it paralyze us. Right. And how many dreams talking about dreams with you? Yeah. How many dreams are killed around the world because of fear? I think fear is maybe let's say what 98% of the culprit that many dreams are not executed and many dreams are not believed in just because there's fear and it could be, let's talk a little bit about that. There's, you know, fear of failure. That's, you know, fear of ridicule. There's fear of kind of like this, you know, internal exposure outside of your family. There's fear of rejection. What have you seen, you know, the combination between dreams and fear with with all the work that that you've done? Uh, I think in a lot of ways, fear is is the core part of our subconscious and, and our subconscious is what generates our dreams and I think that's why we should never shy away from from the fears that come up at night in our sleep dreams or in the day and I think I think that's the beauty in in entrepreneurs as well that of course like 
of course, we're scared every day, you know, to get up on stage or to call someone and an, an investor or potential partner. Every time I'm still shaking. And sometimes I like watch a video of Elon Musk or someone who is just really confident and knows how to get things just to get inspiration, even though I've like been doing this for seven years already. But I think, I think, yeah, duality and like fear is very much also what fuels is what fuels the resistance and the resilience. And I think even in the first time when we did the big dream, I got about a hundred no's for like potential sponsors until in the end, like one person said yes. And I have all those a hundred no's like in an Excel to this day in red, because every time someone said no, I just put them in red. And I didn't give up. I didn't give up on after 80. And it and it was hard. Every time someone's saying no, you're insecure, you're feeling not, you know, you're not feeling great. But I think with fear comes optimism, which is which is bizarre, but it makes sense because you're scared. And then you have to kind of like move on because then what's the point of existence if you're just gonna be scared the entire times? Of course. And and I think something fascinating about human existence is that when we're young, right, we actually learn to walk by falling many, many, many times, right? And it was, you know, hurting ourselves and, you know, kind of like feeling that we were not able to move on, no? Um, and I find fascinating that as we grow, we actually kind of give more importance to those falls, right? Kind of like it's, it's like something like if we age more or, or, or as we age, we're actually feeling more fearful. The other day I went to do a... Uh, piercing it's called death piercing that it's kind of like inside because i heard that it that's for some people it works a lot for them for their migraines for me actually oh wow miracles i have I've had it for three months and i haven't gotten one migraine in these three months hope it stays like that <laughs> but i was asking wow. the person that was you know piercing me about fear right what happens with you know all the clients that she's received and she told me something fascinating. She, she told me, it's interesting to see that usually uh, the older the people that come here, the more fearful they are. And if you see kind of like teenagers are like, you know, pierce me wherever, you know, <laughs> it could be my nose, it could be my belly button, it could be anywhere, it just pierce me, you know. And, and I, found, I found that fascinating. Have you seen that as well with all the dreamers that you've worked with? Have you seen that kind yeah. of the fearful turns more um, protagonistic as we age? I think there's like two layers to it. And I'm thinking about it for the first time now that you're asking, but I think there's layer one, which is we dream, we use our imaginations more when we're younger. Like I'm a bit nervous about the next generation just because of screen use. But overall, when we were children, at least in our generation, we were running around, we were looking out of the window when we were in the car, we were dreaming, we were using our imagination. So I think when you're like freer with your mind and you're dreaming more, you're probably less fearful. That's one. But at the same time, what could be happening with adults is that we're also like carrying a lot of like dream baggage that we might not have executed, you know, if we're going back to execution. It's like we have all these fantasies, these desires, these places we want to go, these people we want to spend time with, and we're and we're not necessarily acting upon them. So then by like holding this like, unexecuted dream baggage we become more fearful in the lives that we live like that's what i'm thinking based on like the experience i have with commissioners who've come to dreamy um and with myself and i guess like i guess you can relate as well to that right like with if you had kind of like a magic wand to correct that what would you do hmm. 
I would, I want to say I would eliminate social media, but then we wouldn't have really connected. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'd like to say that, that social media legally should be, you know, limited to a certain amount of time per day. Like I'm, I'm not, right. Yeah, what do you mean? exactly. To regulate social media. To regulate social media, I'm not I'm not on it regularly, and I have people as well on my team who actually post on my behalf, um, which sounds a bit inauthentic. It's just I really don't want to be <laughs> too much on social media, mm. um, and I think to actually also encourage through school and through through other resources like Dream Time. You know, there's meditation that's in, that's growing in, in the world and yoga. But I actually think, you know, in, for me, meditation is dream time. It's letting your mind drift off and your subconscious just travel to, to its different journey. But like, I personally dream when I'm dancing. Like I'm dancing every morning when I wake up and I just like dream of, of what I want. And I think that's something that should be encouraged much more. And like, if I had a magic wand, I would just like, make every single person on this planet dream for 10 minutes when they wake up because mm. to dream is what generates optimism and optimism is the greatest power we have to kind of understand why we're in this life together and how we can improve it of course and dreams also they have to do with playing right because for example i see my kids right they're three and one year old and i've seen them that you know they dream and they create and they play all the time. So you could have kind of like the cushions of the sofa, they put them together and it's like my <laughs> biggest one is like, no, it's about mom, come, 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 get up. <laughs> there's whales and there are the sharks and there's the seagulls. And he's obviously in his head, he is literally on top of a boat, you know, no kidding. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love that. Room, you know? And, you know, we're playing and they're, you know, this, you know, amazing games. And if, you know, my husband comes and they're like, I don't know, that's like the biggest dolphin. Let's go in, you know, <laughs> and they're playing all the time. And I think, you know, this lack of play that nowadays there are kind of like few places where we're actually invited to play. For example, you know, I don't know, one of the festivals that I think that it's kind of like a playground, it's Burning Man, right? I feel that mm -hmm. it's a playground for adults in the sense that you're you're creating and you're experiencing many things. Of course, there's that part about, you know, the drugs and the parties, which is also, it, it's kind of like a part of it. What would it be? Kind of like yeah. 10%, but not the whole essence of Burning Man, right? And, and you know, the experiences that I've had there, you know, experimenting with art, you know, integrating with art, playing around, you know, having this serendipity of see what happens, you know, meeting new people, you're actually kind of like playing. And I think if I could have that magic wand, for me, I would add play constantly and having fun in our lives. I think that sometimes we're taking life way too seriously, you know, and sometimes we can be only, you know, thinking about paying the bills. And like, we thought that we come to this world to have, you know, specific responsibilities. And I think, you know, sometimes life is more than that, right? Totally. Totally. We have the ability to, 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 to play, then we have the ability to, to create, and therefore we have the ability to dream. No? Definitely. Yeah, I'm all for that. A world with more play and a world with more dreaming. Yes. And I want to ask you, what other cultural artistic projects do you love? Tell us about some of your yeah. inspirations. Like what's out there in the world that it's inspires the big dream and inspires you specifically? So there's a lot of cool projects that I see on a micro level, like in the last year, specifically in Tel Aviv, just because 
like, as I mentioned, I'm not so much on social media, so I'm not so much exposed to what's going on. Um, but like, I've been going to a lot of friends exhibitions here and actually like different artists that I'm working with around the world through Dreamy are launching amazing products and projects. So actually Jean, who's the artistic director of the Big Dream, he's just created this really cool collection to inspire people to explore what it means to plant a tree. What does planting a tree even mean? Is planting a tree in one area better than another one? And he's doing all of this through art. So it's mainly like projects that I'm exposed to through the artists that I'm working with and like local activities that are going on. Um, but I'd say like the one of the most um, inspiring words I've heard in the last year, and I feel really guilty that I don't remember his name. I can, I can actually search in, in my inbox, um, but he's an artist based in Switzerland. He taught me the word artivist, like mm -hmm. artist activist. And I never heard it before. And he really like reminded me that that is in many ways, like what art can do. It can activate people's minds and change people's opinions because often I'm sure, you know, as well, like in the art world, you're like questioned as to why is art actually making a difference? It's much harder to explain that than something else. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, what I've learned in the last year, especially through these projects that I've been exposed to is how much art really can make a difference because it's not only inspiring on every sense level, it's also just really educating people in like such a simple way. Like if I'm going back even to like the planting of the trees example. So I'd say there isn't like one thing that pops to my mind and rather like this whole year has been a reflection for me of how much artists are, like a lot of them are artivists that are trying to express a message to many people in a way that sometimes we can't do that through a Twitter, like for a tweet or through an article or through, you know, the newspaper. And I love exactly that, you know, word about artivists because we're, we're, we are all innate artists inside of us, right? We are all constantly uh, creating the life that we want and we're constantly, you know, creating new things in our projects, in our business, in our families, in our everyday lives. And, you know, if that artist inside of us has a specific, you know, um, vision of what, you know, we actually, you know, envision in the future, then eventually mm -hmm. all our artistic expression is, you know, targeted or kind of like directed towards, towards something, right? Towards our main intention. And we've seen, you know, amazing artivists around the world. I don't know if you know this artist called JR that he created. Yeah. You know, in, in, in the border between Mexico and the US, he created this amazing art installation, you know, that one image, you know, speaks way more than words, right? We have, you know, other artists around the world, you know, people could like him or not, or, or her, we don't even know the uh, gender, but about Banksy, for example, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's constantly, you know, um, sending a message outside. And if you could have kind of like a magic wand with you, what would your message of artivism would be to hmm. do dreams to what to do dreams to create a new a new world to do dreams to reflect on what so firstly jr and, and banksy are like my two main inspirations as artists um so it's amazing that you reference both of them um i think like i'm thinking of, of literally a story that happened to me in relation to the wand in relation to the wand is 
three weeks ago, I was walking with this flag that includes some of the artworks for the big dream because we needed to ship it to NASA because they, everything's limited in weight. When, um, when Eitan, the second Israeli who's traveling to space, he's taking this flag and I didn't know you're limited in weight. So I'm like preparing this flag, standing at the crossroad, which at the square where the big dream first started four years ago, because that's where they asked me to meet them. I was like, okay, energy wise, this is interesting. And I'm like standing with this flag and this 96 year old man like stops me on the, on the road. And he's like, what's that flag for? And I was like, oh, it's a flag with people's dreams and it's going to space. And I was like, he probably thinks like, what? And, uh, and then, uh, and then I gave him the flag and I was like, do you want to be the last person to hold it before it goes to space? And he's like, sure. And then I asked him like, what's your name? What's your dream for the future of the world? And he said, my name's Dov Landau. I'm 96 years old. And I actually survived Auschwitz and I moved to Israel when I was 15 years old. And my dream is that people will be nicer to each other than they have been in the past. And I believe that the only way that can happen is if they're optimistic. And so, like, obviously, I was really moved in that moment. And, like, he summarized, like, for me, what my artivism is, which is, yeah, dreams, bringing them together, making people hopeful. But if I had, like, this wand and, and like, you know, could make people wake up with this one sentence in their mind, it's, today I will dream a little bit more and today I will be a little bit more optimistic and not only for myself, you know, like I see even on the big dream website, like some people are entering dreams that they have for the future of their own lives. And then it's like, but this is a reminder, like, of course, you know, improve yourself first before you can improve the world. But this is a reminder of if you can be optimistic for yourself while equally being optimistic for the future of the planet. And through that, everything else I believe can happen. Change starts with us, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the the initial, like the first, you know, planted seed starts with us. And I totally, totally agree with you. I, I I consider myself an optimist too. Like when they ask me about what, how do I see the world in the future? Yeah, I know we have a lot of problems, and I know we have a climate, you know, change, you know, emergency, and I know that we have, you know, a poverty crisis, and we have, you know. Um, out of this waste problem around the world and pollution, and we have, you know, so many problems around the world. I get it. But also, on the other hand, I am a firm believer of, you know, the evolution of humans and the evolution of consciousness. And I think that it's kind of like this, you know, collective awakening. And, you know, in some part is because of the access of information, right? As we mentioned, you know, also, you know, social media has its good things, even though, yeah, I agree with you that it should be regulated. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like that access to information, it gives us kind of like a whole scope that now we are in the era of self-education, of becoming self-educated, right? You can nowadays, if you're lacking something or you feel that you want to learn something, you go online and, you know, it's kind of like, what do I want to learn, you know, more things about climate change? Do I want to learn more things about, I don't know, business, about art, about anything else, you know? We have kind of like the biggest library in our hands and that mm -hmm. knowledge is power because it's not only what we know, but, you know, it is power because of the importance that we, you know, of what we do with that knowledge. That's where the power, totally. you know, relies. And I believe that these access to information, you know, it's helping us kind of like raise our consciousness and eventually, you know, spreading this kind of messages like, like, like yours and the ones about, you know, the big dream to reach a broader audience. And I can't, you know, I really want to ask this question because 
I want to know if you could be, you know, open and vulnerable enough to share with us what were the challenges that mm -hmm. you faced inside the big dream? Because I'm sure there's amazing ideas out there and many people don't execute them because they have the first five people that tells them no. And, and you've already mentioned about the amount of sponsors that told you no. But what other challenges were you faced? Like, did you feel like a failure? Did you feel that mm -hmm. nobody you know, was believing in you, that you were kind of like this crazy woman? What was happening emotionally inside and also, you know, in regarding, you know, the opportunities that, that those were closing around you? Could you share a little bit of that? Yeah, so I think one day that was really challenging for me was when I asked someone quite influential, like, what is their dream for the future? And then they asked me, like, how much I'd be willing to pay them for their dream. Um, and I understood like that's their profession, they're a writer. But at the same time, it was like I was coming from a place of just, you know, like just won your dream the same way I won everyone's dream to inspire this collective image. Um, and then it suddenly made me feel like, am I not doing this in the correct way? Like, am I supposed to fund this and pay every single person for their dream? But then how is that possible if I want to collect like, you know, billions of dreams? Um That was like one, I just remember that day specifically because it made me question if, it, you know, if this was the right authentic approach to, to collect dreams. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say another big challenge I've had is like, I'm doing this with a lot of help from friends, but I'm like with a, like an amazing team, like 30 friends around the world and then 30 additional partners that are for the locations and then the artist director and then all the 50 artists involved. But I'd say like, I'm not, I'm not the greatest project manager. And like, I, looking back, I shouldn't be the, the project manager. Like I would have definitely brought someone else on um, to, to like manage this whole thing um, because it's, it's like stressful. It's like, you know, on the one hand, I remember I was like being interviewed by someone in Norway about this project. He's like, wow, you have such a fun life. And like in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't really, because like, I've just got this Excel that I'm going to be going on to to write to each person to see if they can help me collect dreams. You know, it's like, it could be so much more fun with maybe a few more people full-time like involved in the team. Um, and yeah, like, I think that's another big mistake. Like I haven't created so much like camaraderie amongst all the team members, but I plan on like tomorrow actually changing that dramatically by creating a WhatsApp group, even though I said like less social media, um, but yeah. That is amazing. And thank you for being so courageous and you know, open to share that with us. Because I think the instant that you shared this, eventually, you know, we can all relate to you because we've been there, right? And we felt that as well, we're all human. And we know that there's not always kind of like a pink story to everything, right? Sometimes we see kind of like the overnight success, right? Whatever that means, but that was honestly like 15 years of working behind the scenes. Right. And for you, you could look, you know, from the outside, kind of like a super su successful, you know, project. And in the inside, you know that, you know, you've had, you know, your obstacles and the things that you need kind of like to turn around. So thank you for being so, you know, vulnerable and for being able to share it with us. Thank you. And for example, how do you uh, fund the artist to create those dreams? It's, you know, yeah. 100% sponsored. Do you negotiate with them? So because I'm like 
all for co-creation and collaboration. At the end, we're just going to sell, we're going to auction off the final artwork and each artist is getting the same amount. Mm -hmm. So we're all like splitting it. And then we're also going to donate like a nice percentage to five organizations that Mm -hmm. once we've collected all of the dreams are the most connected to the top five themes of the dreams submitted so far. So hopefully one in the subject of climate change, one in the subject of mental health, one in the subject of physical health. Um, So that's going to be decided at the end. But I felt like at the beginning, I was like approaching a lot of companies. And then I was thinking it would be great to to get donations and we did receive like two small donations and that was mainly to fund like the making of the site, the making, like we've done some physical exhibitions and then it made the most sense. Like instead of hustling now and like reaching out to so many people, it made like a lot more sense that let's all be partners in this. And at the end, just sell this final piece Mm. and yeah, whoever will be the, the lucky owner of it will basically have in their hands, like the future of the world envisioned. And Sharon, I was like, you have all of these kind of like feminine values ingrained in you. So you're also doing the cooperation, you know, kind of like um, energy, right? With all the artists, the thing like, okay, let's all be partners and let's all, you know, work to- together towards this goal. And if we have success in this goal, then eventually we're all going to win. I'm going to split whatever we win. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't want it to feel as well. Like I'm, even though I'm a really big fan of, Peggy Guggenheim and many other big, you know, like women in the history of art that commissioned artists. I just didn't want it to feel like it's, hi, I'm Sharona and I'd like to pay you to make this piece. It's exactly what you said. Like, I'm so happy that this feels like a project that's created by all of us. And just, just before our call, one of the artists tweeted how excited he is and how his teacher a year ago in school, like really put him down. And now his artwork is traveling around the world and going to space and all the other artists involved in the project, like retweeted it. And it's just, it's so fun to see. So yeah. And also something really fun to see and really impressive to see is that eventually kind of like you created an ideology movement because these artists join you because they share the same vision and they share the same dream with you, right? So they're not only your business partners in the sense of, you know, um, money, let's say, but they're also your your partners in the ideology, right? Totally, they're, totally. They're part of the movement. And that's why I think that they also, you know, joined and eventually they're like, yeah, if, you know, if we have earnings in a few years, you know, that's amazing. But I believe in this and I believe in this project and this is where the spirit is, right? It reminds Definitely. me a bit about, I don't know if you've seen the content of uh, Simon Sinek that he talks about starting with why, that, you know, the why is actually way more important than the what and the, and the, and the uh, when. And most of the times we tend to think about the what and the when constantly. And right now something that you, you know, crushed on it, you kind of like, you know, were spot on in is that you've had your why really clear and really simple and you were able to you know, express that why, and then, you know, find other people that were connected at the same time with your why. So totally fascinating. I really applaud that because I haven't seen that that often. At some point, if you watch his TED talk, you know, there's, there's, um, I think you're going to have fun with it. You're going to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to watch you know? it. <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And um, I wanted to ask you, uh, is there any plan to, in the near future, to do some NFTs or anything with the artworks that have been created? What is your plan with the big dream and the NFTs? 
Yeah. So the big dream within itself, like some of the artists, like most of them, I say 70% are in that space already. So that's the idea to either like sell the final piece as an NFT or sell the final piece as a digital artwork. It all depends on the market. Um, But because we've created like tens of thousands of artworks on Dreamy, Dreamy like seven years ago when it started, I wanted to create a business model that's a bit different from like the traditional marketplace. So from day one, we always said that we can offer the original dreamer to resell their artwork and make money from their own imagination, which in a lot of ways is what the NFT like model is. So like six years ago, like Lynn Doe, she's one of our like returning customers, dreamers. She's an environmentalist and her artwork turned out amazing. It's like a dream that she had that she's basically being chased by a human-sized food pyramid while carrying a human-sized iPad. And I was like, wow, that dream and that artwork is like quintessential of the 21st century. So like, are you interested in us reselling this and you'll make money every time? Um, And she was like, yeah, definitely. Like she was so excited that her imagination was like powerful enough and that the artwork turned out so great. And so that's been within Dreamy's business model for the last seven years. So we're definitely planning on like expanding that and integrating that in the in the NFT marketplaces and elsewhere. Mm, that's amazing. I love this. I love where the NFTs are going, right? It's going to yeah. be fascinating to be able to see it because we are a generation that's going to see that system get disrupted, right? As exactly. Model that we were used to. So it's going to be fascinating kind of like to have a sneak peek of what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I think it's going to be something that we can't even recognize. It's going to I know. Be- I'm excited about it. <laughs> very, very exciting. Amazing, Sharana. So I want to ask a few questions. The idea of mm-hmm. this is kind of like to answer in one or a few words. The idea is something fast that comes to mind. There's no right or wrong. It's just kind of like different expressions okay. of you. Okay. So um, for you, art is? Imagination and inspiration and emotions. Who's your favorite author? Who's your favorite author? Stefan Zweig. Mm. And advice that changed your life? To not take advice too seriously because everyone has a different opinion. (laughs) That's a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful one. The best quality in humans? The ability to cry, laugh, and feel compassion. Three qualities. Amazing. A book that you recommend? The book that I'm reading right now, which is The Philosophy of Tattoos, and it touches a lot on Mexico, actually. Really? How come? Yeah. Um, They're talking about some of the cultures back in the day of tattoo, like they're going through the history of like different. Yeah. I have it near, Oh, I don't have it near me. Um, what I can tell you his name. His name is John Miller. Mm, that's amazing. I want to read that. Thank you. Um, what feeds your soul? Dancing and crying and being vulnerable. The most pressing issue for humanity. Mm, I think that there are so many and I think we like you touched on them you know earlier um obviously the core is 
the fact that so many people around the world are still hungry and pollution. But I think the most, most pressing issue is that not enough of us are maybe dealing with that on a weekly or monthly basis to try and improve that a little bit more. As in there's, there's still so much imbalance and that can be changed quite quickly if we all put in a bit more. Absolutely. If humans can agree on this, you will be very happy. Humans can agree on coexistence, but it's, it feels like, like I'm optimistic. So I'd like to say, yes, one day humans can agree on coexistence in every nation and beyond nations. What would you like to scream to the whole world? It's not just about you or us. Like, I guess it's going back to that. Mm -hmm. It's beyond like, um, I don't know how to articulate it better. It's like, think about yourself as much as you think about the other. Mm -hmm. Something you expect with joy in 2022. I'm really like specifically for me or for the world. I mean, I'm excited about the big dream being unveiled, but I'm also really, really excited about seeing how to execute upon these dreams. Also myself, how to spend more time, like practicing what I'm preaching, which is getting involved in executing some of these big issues. Like for me specifically, it's around the subjects of peace and coexistence where I live in the Middle East. Of course, of course. What is it that you have lived that no one could miss experiencing? Mm, I'd like to say many things, like many things, but I feel each person has their own life and their own experiences that they need. But I guess that something that I'm still longing to experience that I believe I will one day is to meet my grandfather who died before I was born. But I guess it's it's experiencing that longing and that connection to those that have passed away and are in the stars or wherever we believe them to be. And it's being connected to those that we've lost um, on a more regular basis. Of course, of course. So being being connected through through different planes of existence. Right? Exactly. This is amazing, Karana. It has been wonderful to have you here in this episode of Luan. Thank you for sharing your magic, your wonderful vision and sharing, you know, I think part of, you know, um, everything that you've done, I think it talks a lot about kind of like, there's no limit. You can have an idea. And sometimes, you know, part of that idea at the beginning could be like, oh my God, you know, this is not going to work. And oh my God, how am I going to get that? And of course, nobody invests in art. And, you know, we have so many ideas kind of like inside that inner critic, especially in a project like this, and eventually see you, you know, expanding it and reaching it to new countries and to new levels, it's absolutely outstanding. So I want to congratulate you on this, and I want to congratulate you for your vision, for your spirit, and for that amazing, you know, creativity that you have, that you started with a dream, and now that dream is a really big reality. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. You're always so inspiring as well. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. It was wonderful to talk to you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Want to keep the conversation going? Luan, the world's first emotional museum, designed a global online experience to inspire and explore. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, and visit our site at luanmuseum.com to engage creatively.